Thank you, Brother Terry, one of my favorite songs. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. If you brought your Bibles uh, this morning, if you would, turn to chapter 2 of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This morning I want to share with you a sermon that I've simply entitled The Day After Christmas. I thought that'd be pretty fitting, so we're going to look at The Day After Christmas in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 41 and verse 42, and then we're going to skip over to verse 51. So if you would, please stand with me out of respect and reverence of God's infallible, inerrant, inspired word. God's speaking to us as we read this morning. Luke 2, verse 41. His parents, speaking of Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. 12 years old. Now, if you would, look over to verse 51. And then he went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth. And he was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to worship you this morning thank you for christmas we come to celebrate the birth of our lord jesus where god became human took on human form supreme deity but took on human form to die on the cross for our sins speak to our hearts today lord this day after christmas in jesus name amen Thank you and be seated. The day after Christmas. Just think, the day after Christmas. Today is the day after Christmas and we've come together to worship. The day after Christmas. After the glorious angel announcement. After the adoration of the shepherds. After the worship of the wise men and they're bringing their gifts. And then, 12 years, Jesus. After all of that, 12 years, Jesus lived in a little despised town called Nazareth. He had this one glorious experience at 12 years old where he went to the temple with his mom and dad as they went into Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And there he met with the scribes, the, doctrine, the doctors of the law. And he began to teach them a lot of things, and they couldn't really understand it. Then they left. If you remember, they left him behind accidentally. They thought he was with the other rest of the young children, and they left him behind and had to go back and get him. And then for 18 years, after that experience at 12 years old, 18 years, there was not a word from Nazareth. No description whatsoever of Jesus. No, nothing, just complete silence. No information whatsoever about Jesus. Twelve years, we have that account in the temple. Eighteen more years, not a word was heard. The glorious experience of Christmas, it's past. It's the day after Christmas. And so as I was thinking about this, the whole point was you can't stay on the mountaintop all the time. 
It isn't Christmas every day. You don't hear the angels sing every hour. You don't hear the shepherds adoring. You don't have the wise men coming and bringing gifts. And so the point is, there's a, always an aftermath. There's always a come down. There's always a let down after a glorious spiritual experience. On high for one moment, and then the next day, it's kind of a letdown. Remember Elijah? Elijah on Mount Carmel? God answered his prayer, and fire fell from heaven. He prayed again, God answered his prayer, and rain fell from heaven. God answered another prayer, and the entire nation of Israel returned to God. It was a glorious day, but the next day, he was in the presence of Jezebel. The next day, he was sitting under a Jupiter tree, juniper tree, asking God that he might die. From the top of Mount Carmel, next to heaven, now down south, asking God, God just let me die. What a letdown. What a come down. What an aftermath. For Elijah. You'll find the same experience with Peter and James and John on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. There they are, looking at the glorified deity of Jesus. Seeing his face shine as it was the sun. His garments were white as snow. And then Peter said, let's just stay here for a while. This is a glorious time. I mean, this is a great place. This is a wonderful place. But no... It only lasted for a little while. Then they were back down in the valley. What a letdown. What a come down. What an aftermath. And then if you see here on verse, in verse 51, Luke chapter 2, notice what it says. And then he went down with them, speaking of his parents, and came to Nazareth, and he was subject to them, his parents. Just like all the other little boys, young boys, 12 years old perhaps, and up. Just little boys growing up. And so in spite of all the wonder and all the glory of Bethlehem, in spite of all of those experiences of the nativity, notice he was subject to them. After all of that that happened in Bethlehem as a young babe, now he's 12 years old and plus, he's subject to his mother and father, meaning he followed his supposed father, Joseph. He became a carpenter like his, like his uh, father, Joseph. He worked with his hands. He, he worked with a hammer, worked with a saw, worked with a chisel. History tells us that he and Joseph owned this carpenter shop that, um, that made yoke, yokes for oxen. He became known as a carpenter. Jesus became known as a carpenter. If you would look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I want to, uh, I want to point out one verse. Mark chapter 6. And after his anointing as the Messiah, and after his baptizing, or his baptism by John the Baptist, he returned to his hometown of Nazareth. 
And chapter 6 of Mark, verse 3, says this. Is this not, speaking of Jesus, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. Is this not the carpenter? And so after the glory of Bethlehem, after the visitation of God, where God came down from heaven and is lying in a manger in flesh, after the angels singing, after the wise men worshiping, then the Bible says he went down to Nazareth and he did the work of a carpenter. One commentator said, put it this way, the drudgery, he did the work, the drudgery of everyday life. But do you think, of him being a carpenter, do you think that the Lord was any less holy? Was he any less godly, any less wonderful as he worked every day with his, as he worked every day with his hands? And then when the, angel, you know, the angels were singing, he was holy, we know he was holy. Was he holy in his, father, in his father's carpenter shop? Sure he was. He was holy when the wise men came around. He was godly, he was holy, he was wonderful, just as much in the carpenter shop as he was in the manger. And I think the message that God wants us to hear this morning is this. And I jotted this down. We are servants of God in the midst of our daily assignments, just as much as we are in our experiences that bring us into the gates of His glory. He's just as much God in the carpenter shop as He was in the manger. As for us as God's servants, we're God's servants in the midst of our daily assignments, just as much as we are in those glorious experiences that bring us into the gates of glory of God. We're His servants. We're His people. Whether we're in that heavenly experience or whether we're doing our daily job, we're His servants. God is in all of it. God is in the glorious experiences and God is in our everyday assignment, whatever that might be for you. And so He went down to Nazareth and He did the work of a carpenter. So if you take taking notes, real simple. First of all, the day after Christmas. Kind of ends it there in verse 51. He went down to Nazareth. And he did the work of a carpenter. So first of all, the letdown. The letdown. The letdown is when we have this glorious experience. Perhaps your salvation. After salvation, maybe it's a glorious experience of an answered prayer. Or perhaps it's an encounter with God during your quiet time. But anyway, you have a glorious experience. However, it's suddenly gone. It's, it's suddenly spent. It's passed away. And that's a letdown. But remember this. The letdown is just testing your faith. That's what the letdowns do. They test our faith. To give you an example, there's no doubt in my mind that the first century Christians were expecting the coming of Christ in their lifetime. 
I mean, almost in every book, almost in every chapter, almost every word, you can sense the intense expectancy of the soon return of Christ as the Messiah. I mean, they believed that. They, they not only believed it, it was, a, it was a motivation for them. They thought Christ would come back at any time, any moment. They expected the Lord to return in, in their day, in their lifetime. They wrote about it. They prayed about it. They thought that there was going to be this great revolution, a new world order, and Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and He would rule forever. They really thought that. Then the first century passed away. The second century passed away. The third century passed away. 500 years passed away. The sixth century, the eighth century. A thousand years passed away. Then 1,500 years passed away. And now 2,021 years have passed away. And he hasn't returned. But what they didn't know, and, all, and many don't know today, God had kept a secret from them. And that was a period of grace that he would come and offer salvation to the Gentiles. And they didn't know about that. And for 2,000 years, God has been offering grace to the Gentiles. One of the famed theologians of the past said this, he said, the expectation of his second coming, has not that expectation proved to be a failure also? You see, he has not come, and there are no signs of his coming. They were mistaken, those early Christians. Really. If you would, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. And I want to share a couple of verses with you. Chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen, if you would, verses 1 through 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Drop down to verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering toward us, and not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The early Christians, expecting Him to come any minute, and waited and waited and waited, and 2,021 years later, we're still waiting, not for the second coming where He sets up His kingdom, but for the rapture. That was hidden from them. 
the rapture where he calls us up, the dead first that are in Christ, then us, and we'll be with the Lord there forever in the air. And during the next period of time here on earth, you'll have a great tribulation. And then the second coming where he comes back and steps his foot uh, on the Mount of Olives. But we're waiting for that rapture at this time. George W. Truett was a, he was a great Baptist preacher. He, uh, he was ordained in 1890. And he became the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, from 1897 through 1944. He served that church for 47 years. And some people would go up to his mother and they would say, Your son George is a, is a marvelous preacher. Your son George is a famed preacher. And his mother would say this. She would say, But you, you haven't heard my son Jim. You haven't heard my son Jim. I mean, really, her favorite child, obviously, was Jim. Jim Truitt. Have you heard my son Jim? But the story's told that Jim preached, um, he preached uh, in the area of Texas and Oklahoma. And as he was declining in health and retired, every morning, every morning he would go to the window and he'd look to the east. Raise the blinds, look to the east. And he would say, perhaps he'll come today. Perhaps he'll come today. Well, what do you do? After a glorious experience. You do like Jim. You wait. You trust. And you believe. That's what we do. The day after Christmas. The letdown is the testing of your faith. Going down to Nazareth. But secondly, jot this down and I'm finished. He worked as a carpenter. Now I want to apply this principle as it relates to the building of the household of faith, the church. There's nothing worthwhile that's not attained by hard work, regardless what it might be, whether it's a doctor or whether it's a lawyer or where it's a machinist or where it's whatever it might be. Nothing worthwhile is ever attained without hard work. And that's also true of the church. I want you to think of the hard work that people have put forth here in the past hundred years. Think of it. Hard work. Hard work from other people have brought us to the point here, following the Lord's leadership and guidance. Think of the last hundred years. Think of what's happened here in the last three months. October, November, and December. The hard work. Think about the trunk of tree. Think about the benevolent meal, the planting and the cooking and smoking the meat and serving and caring about 476 plates, Thanksgiving meals, benevolent meals out of this building and then cleaning up afterwards. Think about decorating for Christmas as it is so beautiful this morning. Think about taking it all down. Think about the drive-through nativity. Think of all the hard work that went through setting things, building scenes, running electrical wire. Be. Think of all the hard work that people did. But I want you to remember this. The fundamental work and the foundational work of the church 
It's not found in special occasions. It's found in everyday faithfulness of God's people. It's found like you're here this morning coming to a worship service. That, that fundamental work is not on a special occasion, but it's teaching a class or singing in the choir, glorifying God in a worship service, working with our children, using your spiritual gifts, your natural abilities, giving to the ministries of the church, the mission of the church, keeping up the facility, the building, things that go into all of that. The life of our faith family, lives in great people who give and labor and work and sacrifice and serve. It's always been that way. Always been that way. There's a letdown. There's going down from all the angels and wise men and shepherds. And he went down to Nazareth and he worked in his father's cabinet or carpenter shop and he too became a carpenter and so the day after christmas the letdown he went down to nazareth i mean we can't stay on the mountain all time elijah couldn't peter james and john couldn't jesus didn't and so we have our letdown and we go to nazareth but jesus was a carpenter and he worked and God is in every day, our everyday assignment as his servants. We're servants of God in the midst of our daily assignment, just as much as in the experience that brings us to the very gates of glory. So what are you going to do today, the day after Christmas? Are you going down? You know, we, we've come down. I'm, last night I told Judy we were just sitting in the living room and I'm thinking, well, it's Christmas. I mean, tomorrow's a different day. We're going down. Can't stay here all the time. We're going down, down to Nazareth. What are you going to do today? Well, we know for sure it's not going to be the same as it was yesterday. But are you going to be serving? Are you going to be working? You see, just remember that God is with you in your daily assignment just as much as he is in your glorious experiences that you have. That's how we word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to just focus upon the day after Christmas. And so, Father, help us to remember we can't stay on the mountain all the time. There are those valleys. We come out, we go to work, we serve you, we serve our fellow man. From time to time, we'll experience those special spiritual occasions, and they're wonderful, but yet, Father, they last for only a while. But yet, Lord, we're told to serve you as we serve our fellow man. I pray for each person here today. I pray, first of all, that there's not a person here that doesn't know the true meaning of Christmas where Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and they're promised eternal life if they'll put their faith and trust in you and nothing else and step out unashamedly and say I'll trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life Lord that, a, that will be a special time that will be a spiritual event that they'll never forget even here and throughout all eternities when they gave their heart to you. 
And so, Father, help us to evaluate our life and see where, what we're doing now after that special event that happened yesterday has ended. And, and so the celebration for the, for, for the most is over. So what are we going to do, Lord, as we serve you, serve our fellow man? Speak to our hearts, I pray. Tell us what to be doing as a church, as a faith family. Thank you for those who have served in the past and worked in the past, brought us to this point, and help us to leave a legacy behind for others to follow. We thank you for this time that we have together, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.